Well, good morning, Foothill. It's good to be back. I took the last uh, five weeks. I was out of the pulpit. I was able to get a little bit of R&R with uh, my family. I went up to the mountains for for about a week and otherwise just kind of trying to plan and get our arms around what we're going to do this fall. I don't know that any of us had uh, any clue when all this began that we would, this would be extending into the fall. And, um, and so just want you to know, man, rest assured, we are, we are thinking that through, trying to figure that out. In fact, we're excited to gather today uh, with, uh, with a group outdoors over at our baseline campus and, and just to consider what that might look like for the future. So man, we covet your prayers. If you uh, think about it, man, pray for us as a staff that uh, the Lord will just give us great wisdom as we kind of consider how we navigate uh, the, the rest of this fall and what we uh, should do and shouldn't do. And by the way, let me just say, if you're kind of wanting um, an inside look at sort of what we do, why we do what we do, uh, we just started a podcast that I'm really, really proud of, not because I'm on the first episode, really just I'm proud of Pastor Stephen and Ethan and others who have really made this happen. And I'll tell you, it's excellent. So if you're uh, a part of Foothill Church or want to know more about kind of the, the why behind stuff, then I want to encourage you, man, download that podcast. We've made it so it's like 15 minutes, 20 minutes long. You can listen to it on the way to the grocery store and home or, you know, on the way from church and, um, and just kind of uh, listen in on some of the thinking behind uh, what we're doing. We'd love for you to give, have that inside angle, and hopefully that's helpful and informative to you. Now, uh, every fall for the last 10 years, I guess or so, we've, we've kind of just pressed reset or re calibrate on on what we're doing. You heard Stephen already say, man, we want to be a church where where we, we exist to glorify God by leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ rooted in the gospel. So if the gospel is the soil in which we're rooted that brings about everything in our life, then, then we want to stop for a few weeks and just remember what the gospel is and, and really remember what the gospel does. And, and that's where we're kind of going to go uh, during this time. It's really important because the gospel changes everything. When we really believe the gospel, when we take it in, it impacts all of our life. This is not just a doctrine, a set of doctrines we believe in. It's a reality that impacts every part of our life. So every year, uh, we basically take it and look at it from a different angle, right? We want to we sort of turn it like a diamond and go, man, what, is, what does it say about this? And this year, I want us to, to look at it from the, the angle, if you will, of hope, hope, right? That is that, that, you know, the world is in a time right now that needs hope, right? We need hope. You and I, I imagine you're listening, some of you today, and, and feeling on the despairing edge. And listen, when despair really sets in, then tragic things happen. But, but, but when we have real hope, I'm talking about gospel hope, I'm talking about biblical hope, it changes everything. So during the break, um, Michelle and I stumbled across a, a, a TV show that has been around for a while, but we are sort of Johnny-come-latelys to it, called Alone. If you've not seen Alone or don't know about it, I think it's on the History Channel. Uh, I think there's a season on Netflix or something, but that's where we saw it. And uh, it, here's, the, here's what the setup. It's one of these reality TV shows where they take 10 contestants. These guys are all, uh, and gals are like survivalists. They, they know how to live off the land on their own. They set them out in Patagonia or Vancouver Island or in the Arctic. And they basically say, you have to last there uh, as long as you can. They give them a camera. There's no camera crew. There's no producers in the background telling what to say. It's just them setting up these cameras and talking about what it's like. And to watch it is actually interesting. It's interesting to see them have to build their shelters and find food and all that kind of stuff. But it is a psychological roller coaster. 
right? It is the ups and downs. Some people are taken out because of injury. And by the way, if you're the last one standing, you get $500,000. So there's this really big carrot at the end of this. If you can be the last one standing, you, you uh, get a small fortune. So, so they, 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 but they go through these times. Some people are taken out because of injury, can't last. Some people are taken out because of emotional distress. Like they just can't handle it. They can't being away from home. They can't stand being away from the food that they could have so readily, right? And yet some people last all the way to the end. And if I had to, 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 to help you understand why, it's really that uh, the, the, the length of their endurance is in direct proportion to the, the strength of their hope. What they're actually hoping for as an outcome for all of this. Now, I see this. My kids get bothered over this. But I, I see this show. I think one of the reasons I like it, it's kind of a metaphor for life. It's, it's a metaphor for the Christian life, right? There is, there is this thing being held out for us. because and, and, and we endure based on the strength of our hope. Hope fuels us, right? We are hope-based creatures, and what I want you to see today and as we walk through this over the next several weeks is that hope is one of the direct products of the gospel. The gospel is meant to fill us with hope and that hope then moves out and shapes every part of our life. Right, It moves into all the nooks and crannies. I mean, it goes out into the world and it speaks to our suffering and it talks to our money and it talks to our workplace and it talks to sexual intimacy and marriage and family and every sphere of your life, every sphere of our world. That's what I want us to tackle uh, in the coming weeks. Now, to do that, today's kind of an introductory sermon because I, I want to just set the table and show you uh, in some small way this, this big hope that we have. And to do that, you heard Gabe read uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. And, and we're, gonna, we're not going to sort of go through that like we normally would, word by word, phrase by phrase. I, I want to I pull some things out of this that I think are, are necessary for us to see, right? First, I want you to see why we need hope. Second of all, I want you to see what kind of hope we have as Christians. And then finally, how that hope impacts all of life, okay? Why we need it, what kind we have, and how it shapes our life, all right? So let's, let's start by looking, why do we need hope? And, and so look, at me, look with me at Ephesians chapter 1 and go down to verse 12. Gabe read us the whole context, and, and Paul says this, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, Okay, those who hope in Christ. In other words, let's say it this way. The fundamental reason why we must have hope is that there's no such thing as a, being a Christian without hope. Someone, a Christian is fundamentally someone who has hoped in Christ. So that hope, you'll find as you trace this through Scripture, hope is one of the ways that the Bible talks about salvation, that Bible talks about people who are genuinely the people of God. This is Old Testament to New Testament. Let me just give you a really brief sampling. You can look it up yourself, but you'll see this in the prophets and the Psalms all over the place. But listen to Psalm 33, 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Right? So, so they, they hope. This is what identifies the ones that God looks on with favor. 
Or, or, or Psalm 146, verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. You see this? So, fundamentally, salvation is for those who hope in Christ. Now, let me show you something interesting. We didn't read it, but just skip down in chapter 1, down to verse 18. Paul, in verse 15, starts praying. Right, for this reason, after everything that Gabe just read, he says, man, for this reason, I've heard of you, I've, I've started praying for you. And look what he says in the middle of that prayer for the church in Ephesus, for us, we might say, he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, notice Verse 12 says you've hoped. Verse 18 says I'm praying that you'll have hope. So which is it, Paul? Do they have hope or do they not have hope? Well, okay, the difference, we can say yes, they have hope, but the difference is between, we might say, knowing and experiencing. This, by the way, is where English creates some problems for us, right? Because we, we read things and, and immediately, of course, we, we, we put them into the context we understand. So words like know and words like hope are very, very different when we understand what the Bible means by those words versus how we use those words. Like take, for example, the word know. Right, no. When I use the word no, it usually means something I'm, I'm aware or, uh, I, I, you know, I become aware about something. Something like that. I, I know of, I'll, I'll talk about knowing someone. I could say to you, you know, let's pick a name. Do, do you know Stephen? And you'd say, yeah, I know him. He's a pastor of Foothill Church. Now, what if I said it this way, though? Do you know, know Stephen? Right? In other words, like, do you, do you have not just a simple awareness? How well do you know him? Have you experienced being with Stephen? Do you, do you know how he thinks? Do you know how he acts? That kind of thing. That's a whole different level of knowledge. Right? If I were to say to you, do you know the Grand Canyon? You might say, well, I know about it, or I've seen it, or I've visited it, or whatever. I've seen pictures. Do you know it? What am I asking? Have you really experienced it? That's biblical knowing. It's not mere acquaintance. It's like, I, 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 I know it deeply. I understand it. I, I, I'm personally acquainted with it. I've experienced it. We have the same problem with, with hope, right? Because in English, hope can mean it might or might not happen when I talk about hope. I hope they find a vaccine in the next few months. That might happen. That might not happen. Some of you would say, I hope I can get married as planned. That might happen that might. I hope I can have a graduation in May and all this is over. It might, it might not, right? That's how we use the word hope. That isn't how the Bible uses hope. In fact, let me show you if you were, you don't have to turn there, but look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. This gives us a great definition, a biblical definition of hope. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Now, do you hear what he's saying? He equates faith and hope in one way, but he says, look, it's the same thing. It's an assurance. I am utterly confident. It's a conviction of what's going to happen. So we could say it this. Hope, biblically speaking, is a life-shaping certainty about the future. You hear that? 
It is a life-shaping certainty about the future. Now, do you see what Paul's doing when we get to verse 18? Man, I want you to know this. I want the reality of what you originally hoped in Christ. I want you to know it deeply. Yes, you hoped in Christ when you believed on him. You trusted he will forgive you. You trusted that he'll reconcile you to the Father. But now I pray the reality of that hope will sink into your inner being, that the eyes of your heart will see it, right? Your heart has eyes, and it sees, it's like the blazing sun. It dazzles your eyes. Like looking at the Grand Canyon, I see it. I understand it. I know it. I want you to be dazzled by that. I want that to fill your horizon. I want it to define your life. See, because when that happens, you have this life-shaping certainty about the future. Now, now, what does that result in? What happens when you have that kind of assurance of things for things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. It, it runs and comes all the way back into your present reality. Let, let, me, let me explain through kind of a simple illustration. Suppose I took uh, two, two men and I put them, they're the same age and, you know, kind of same station in life, all this, and I put both of them in the same work environment. And, it, you know, it's the same air conditioning and furniture and wallpaper and lighting and everything about it is the same. They're going to work the same hours during the week. They're going to work 10-hour days, Monday through Friday, right? And they're going to have the same exact job. And that job is going to be simply to take a widget, whatever you want to imagine that to be, and putting it on top of a another widget. And they will do this for 10 hours a day, five days a week, all year long. So exact same circumstances. Now to, to, you know, the first guy, the promise is if you'll do this for a year, we'll give you $10,000. To the second guy, we say, if you'll do this until the end of the year, we'll give you a hundred million dollars. Now, what would be the reaction? Right? $10,000 man over here would be saying, this is tedious, this is awful, this is mind-numbing, uh, I'm going to go crazy. The $100 million guy would be talking to him and saying, it's not so bad. It's actually pretty good. Like, I can put my headphones on and listen to different podcasts, and I can, I can sort of, you know, this is, this is really not so bad after all. What is the difference between, you know, $10,000 man and $100 million man? It's the assurance of things hoped for. It comes all the way back into their present reality and says, this gives me hope right now or doesn't. See, this is the idea, right? Our hope comes all the way into the present. And it's so massive because a Christian's hope doesn't just deal with temporal realities, but future ultimate certainties, right? This is what is coming for you. This is what you will get. It's the ultimate future. It's not immediate things, but ultimate things that bring hope, bring present hope, right? Ultimate hope brings present hope. In fact, again, my, probably my favorite chapter in all of Scripture, Romans 8, Paul says this, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, what's behind that? Why can Paul say this? Why can the man who's been shipwrecked and beaten and whipped with lashes and all these say this? 
Because the certainty of his future hope has come all the way back into his present reality where it says, this, I don't consider this is even suffering in comparison to what I'm going to receive. But he goes on, verse 24, for in this hope you were saved. Now hope that is not seen is not hope. For, or that is seen is not hope. But for who hopes for what he's seen? But if we hope for what we have not seen, we wait for it with patience. Now listen. If the hope Paul is talking about in verses 24 and 25 is may happen, may not happen, this is craziness. But if the hope is the assurance of things hoped for, a present assurance, a conviction of things not seen, and this makes sense, right? We wait for it right now in the present with, with, with patience. See, see, Romans 8 is is hope not in something that might happen but will happen. It's this life-shaping certainty about the future. See, what you think about your ultimate future will impact your present reality. Let me use the, the show alone again. Every one of them, every contestant stays on or jumps off based on what they believe is their future reality. Like some get sick and their body starts to start to eat muscle, and they start saying things like this. You know, is $500,000 worth having permanent kidney damage or some kind of, you know, disability the rest of my life? No. Others say, man, I can endure the sickness. I can endure the hardship because of what's being held out for me. Either way, their present, uh, their, their present behavior is shaped by what they're assured of in their future. However, they've shaped that. But okay, let's get off of the TV show. Let's talk about reality. Let's talk about the Christian suffering. Let's talk about Christians going through times where it seems hopeless. How does the gospel, how does this, how does this ultimate future shape present reality? One of the things I did over my time away was I was reading several books and probably the most helpful book I've read, lots of great books, by the way, but was a, is a book by a guy named Mark Vrogop um, who, who wrote a book called Weep With Me. And it's basically how lament can help us in this whole process of racial reconciliation. But, but he reminds me, along with a lot of the other books that I read, that... Um, that I, I don't know how you felt, but during these last five months, I can't believe I'm saying that, but we've, we've been absent from each other about five months. D during this time, um, you know, there, I've picked up my Bible and I've read it and it's like there's these new things hitting me, just, just places that had never pressed on me experientially. So to read about suffering, you see in a new light. To read Psalms of lament, you see in a new light. And one of the things that we can learn, so if I were to talk about Christian suffering in the present in light of future glory, how does that help us to know our ultimate hope? How does it affect the present reality? Well, one of the great legacies of the African-American church, especially in America, especially that came from out of slavery and sharecropping, right, for all the hardship in the midst of all that, they wrote what we know today as spirituals. And you can imagine these are songs that would be sung when they came together, you know, it, quietly, secretly, or songs they would sing as they were laboring, as they were, as they were being, you know, maliciously treated 
by their slaveholders and the plantation owners, and they're singing these spirituals to one another. And you know some of them, like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, or There is a Balm in Gilead, or one called Hold On. Listen to just, I'm gonna just sort of, they, they, they do these refrains over and over, right? And, and so the first refrain just goes, Hold On, just a little while longer. And they repeat that a few times. And then Pray On, just a little while longer. They repeat that a few times. Fight On, just a little while longer. And they end it on this note everything will be all right. And that's a language we have to learn. That's a language we can be taught and re remember this, right? That's an amazing reality to think that's what's being, being talked about, sung to each other in the midst of unimaginable suffering for them. See, see here is the truth, the biblical truth about Christian hope. Maybe you want to write this down. Your bad things will turn out for your ultimate good. Your good things can never be taken away. And the best things are yet to come. Let me say that again. Your bad things, for the Christian, for the Christian, those who are in Christ, your bad things will turn out for your ultimate good. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord. Your good things can never be taken away. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And the best things are yet to come. They can't compare with anything in this life. That's our reality. This is why we need hope. Now, I'm going to be brief in these next 10 minutes, but he, here, here's what I want you to see. The second thing is what hope do we have? And I've only got time to unpack one of them. Go to verse 11. Here's what I want you to see. We have an inheritance. So verse 11, in him, this is in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So what's happening there, right? Notice something really strange here. Paul speaks in the past tense. We have obtained. It's already done. And then to fill you with assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen, he piles on ways of filling up that tank, right? He says things like we were predestined. He says it's according to God's purpose. It's according to the counsel of his will. This is God's character on the line. This is the might and majesty and sovereignty of God that's going to bring this about. Then go down to verses 13 and 14 and he says, in him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. See, Let's just say this. I, I'm going to simplify here. The Holy Spirit, he's saying, is a deposit to the guarantee of our inheritance, a down payment. Now, if you've ever bought a house or a car or whatever, if you go in and you sign the contract, say, I'm going to buy that house, there's an earnest money deposit that has to be made. And here's the idea. You break your side of the contract, you lose the earnest money. If God breaks his side of the contract, he loses himself. He loses the third person of the Trinity, right? He's saying this will never happen because it's a guarantee. In fact, I skipped over this when I read Romans 8, but listen to Romans 8 chapter, uh, verse 20 when he says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. Now listen to this. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Here's what I want you to see. God's good creation is groaning, all of it, as it waits for redemption. See, he says, we groan inwardly. Like, isn't there groaning going on? I want this to be done. How long, O Lord? How long? Creation groans. He's saying creation groans. I mean, every tsunami, every earthquake, every hurricane, every tornado, all this is creation groaning, if you will, longing for the day of its redemption. COVID-19, pandemics, creation groaning, waiting for its redemption. There's something wrong. How long, O Lord? And he says what's happened is now the Spirit has come and the Spirit is the first fruit, the deposit, the guarantee that points toward a future reality. He's doing something presently so that we could say this, God God will ultimately redeem all of us, right? He will redeem everything about me. He will redeem my physical body, my emotional body, my psychological. He'll redeem everything about me, and he'll do that to, to not only me, but he'll do it to all of creation. So that if I look out at the mountains here in Glendora, I can look up and say, this is but a shadow of the future reality that won't compare with the present reality. God will renew all things. Our bodies will be glorious. Disease will be eradicated. Relational strife, racial disunity, inequality, injustice, tsunamis, things, pandemics, all gone. Because God has redeemed all of it. So our inheritance is personal, but it's also cosmic. John Lennon wants us to imagine there is no heaven. Paul says, I want, not McCartney, right, Apostle, wants us to imagine heaven coming to earth. When God comes to reign and rule, he's our father, Christ's our brother, we're a new family. We're now renewed relationally. We're now renewed psychologically. We're now renewed emotionally. No more depression, no more anxiety, no more injury, no more racial strife, no more police brutality, none of that. All of it taken away. This is the hope that we have. Now listen, Christian, 1 John says this. He tells us that right now, where we live, he says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Everything has been turned upside down. Right? Our justice system, our entertainment, our financial system, all these things have been turned upside down, deformed. Our political systems deformed in one way, shape, or more to, to degrees of, of difference between. But right, all of it, it lies within the power of the evil one. So, so what do we do? We, we, we fight it, but we're not surprised. 
We're not surprised. We, we shouldn't be surprised when we hear things like systemic oppression and injustice. We ought to go, that makes perfect sense in light of. I'm not saying we don't rebel against it as the children of God. I'm saying that we shouldn't buck against and say, oh, that doesn't exist and pretend like it doesn't exist. Of course it does. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And God is going to redeem that whole world. Someday, hold on, Everything will be all right. That's the hope. Okay, but now, lastly, how does that hope shape all of life? Again, I'll be brief. Listen, if you know that, if you know the way the Bible talks about knowing, Paul talks about knowing, you, you know the hope to which you have been called. You, you, you know the, you, 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 you've taken it in. You're assured of your convictions. You're assured of the things you hope for. Your eyes are ablaze with the hope to which you were called. That will have very present, real implications. It must. Your life has been changed. You're utterly different. You don't even view the world the same way. See, let me, let, me, um, <clears throat> let, me, let me generalize here. Uh, conservative Christianity tends to view the gospel as merely personal. That is, I must repent and put my faith in Jesus and be saved. But they start to bristle they start to get uncomfortable. Some even get surprisingly angry when you start to talk about systemic injustice, oppression, uh, those racism, right? Social injustice. You start using words like that, and the conservative side's going to say, "Oh, oh, you're you're a cultural Marxist. You're a social justice warrior." Okay, that, 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 again, that, that's what we tend, those of us within conservative Christianity, that's how, how we tend to go. Those within liberal Christianity tend to talk about social justice and political oppression and overcoming that, right? But they get a little angry and surprised and upset when you start to talk about the need for repentance from sin and, and faith in Jesus and walking in biblical holiness. The gospel comes along and says, man, it's for everything. It's for all of life. The gospel covers. Yep, do you have to be, do you have to personally repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, put your hope in God? Yes. But does that also mean there will be, that will now move out of you for the flourishing of the world? Listen, just read the prophets. Just read the Psalms. Look how often the prophets come and say, stand up for those without a voice. Fight against oppression. This should not be happening. Because that should be the inclination. In other words, at the end of the day, the gospel is more cosmic than simply personal salvation and it is much more personal than simply social renewal. The gospel is the hope of the world. The gospel is for all of life. That's why we need it. That's what hope we have, and that's how it shapes everything. This kind of gospel will shape your work. It'll shape your family. It'll shape the way you raise your children. It'll shape the way you spend your money. It will creep into every part of your life if that really is the life-shaping certainty of your future. So let's pray that.
Let's pray that into being. Let's pray that again and again and again, Foothill Church, that God, you would do according to what Paul has written. You would allow us to have the eyes of our heart enlightened, that we would know the hope to which we are called, our glorious inheritance among the saints. Let's pray. Father, we do love you and we thank you, and I pray right now that, uh, that this would be our reality. Lord, I pray first for those who would say, I don't, I haven't put my faith, my hope in Jesus Christ. Maybe I've put it in religion or I think it's, you know, if I, if I go to church or watch online or read my Bible a couple of times, that means I'm a Christian. Lord, may, we, may, 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 may those scales fall from eyes and they realize that unless there has been repentance for sin and turning in faith to Jesus, that, that God, um, that, that they are not believers yet. If, unless their real hope is in Jesus Christ, then, then, then Father, they're lost. And so let that happen today. Let people respond in faith to Jesus Christ, putting their hope, their trust in him. And then God, for those of us who would say, men, we are, we're, we're striving to live for Jesus. We've, we've put our hope in him. We were of the first to hope in Christ, right? That, that we would say, let that, let that now move out of us. Let, the, let that massive hope be something that changes our present reality, our present understanding of suffering and, and, and flourishing in the world and our workplace and our families and our money and all of these areas that it impacts. But God, we need you. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to drive that into our hearts today. So would you do that, we pray. We love you, we thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.